So if you have your Bibles, we're going to continue worshiping the Lord through um, time in the Word. We're going to be beginning with uh, Genesis 27. So don't count this against my time. It's a really long reading. And so when you're preaching through the Old Testament, you do have to be careful uh, to follow the, the narrative arc of the story. And so we're actually going to pick up a few verses before, but don't worry about it. We're going to pick up in verses 26, 34, and then I'll read all the way through verse, uh, chapter 30, uh, verse 40 of chapter 27. This is God's word. Uh, when Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and also Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Now we're in uh, chapter 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And Esau answered, Here I am. And he said, Behold, I am old now. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two young goats so that I may prepare them um, delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father would feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. Well, his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and the smooth parts of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you have told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother's Esau's hands. And so Isaac blessed him. And he said, Are you really my son Esau? And Jacob answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, 
Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is a smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Curse be everyone who curses you and bless be everyone who blesses you. And as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, then Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father now arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? And he answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me even also, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me, father? And Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord of you, and all of his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and with wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O oh, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice, and he wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth your dwelling shall be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live. And you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Amen. Let's pray. The Lord, uh, your word is good and it's rich and it's powerful and it's timely. And uh, Lord, would you use your word both read and now preached in the building up of your people. Father, may we leave here trusting that all the messes in life that we find ourselves in, that we serve a great master who can turn messes into masterpieces. May we leave your Lord more thankful and more encouraged by your unchanging character. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. So something in us loves the idea that messes can be turned into masterpieces. Maybe you've been cooking and you put a little too much of an ingredient in and it's too salty and, and, and you, you, you're worried because you're about to serve it. It's too late. You can't go and start over. And in your heart of hearts, you want to be able to turn this mess into a masterpiece. Or maybe it's uh, trivial things such as children who waste things on the floor and you, you have this longing to have that rug that they just messed up restored. Um, another example, uh, you've heard me talk about my great-great-grandfather that 
I'm named after, and my dad's named after. He was born a slave in 1857, and he was freed, and he, he enrolled in what was then Jackson State, but it was called Natchez Seminary. And it was a place where newly freed slaves could either go to school to become pastors or teachers. And so he uh, went and he eventually became a pastor. He ended up raising money to help Jackson State relocate from Natchez to Jackson. And then he went on the mission field. He went to what is now called Sierra Leone, but it was called the Vey Territory uh, in Africa uh, back in the late 1800s. Uh, he and his wife and their missionary team called African fever. And so uh, one couple died on the field. And so they got back on a ship and came back to Jackson. He went on to pastor at Mount Helm and then he founded Ferris Street Baptist Church in 1893. Well, he died, obviously. And he left a rocking chair to my grandmother. And before my grandmother died, she gave it to us. And so you can imagine the shape that it was in when we got it. It's from the 1800s. It's a rocking chair that we think he had in his study when he would read his Bible. And back then they stuffed these chairs with horse hair. I didn't know that. Um, and the cushions were just sunken. The wood was in disrepair and she gave it to us and we wanted to be excited about it, but it, it was a mess, right? <laughs> And so I called the one person that I knew at the time who was a master carpenter, and his name was Raymond Hall. And some of you know Raymond. Raymond was in the founding group of men who helped plant Redeemer. Well, Raymond came over to our house, and he saw it, and he was like all googly eyes. And he was like, please let me get my hands on it. And so we gave it to Raymond, and Raymond kept it for weeks or months. And then he brought it back to us. And in the care of his hands, that mess was turned into a beautiful masterpiece. And I think we like those types of stories um, because that's one of our deepest longings. Whether we're talking about marriages or meals or bad decisions or job losses or kids that don't seem to be walking with the Lord things that we've done to harm others or things that others have done to harm us, one of our deepest longings is to have the mess of our lives be fixed. And that's what you see happening in our passage this morning. It's a mess. And not a, not a play mess, like a real mess. And when the dust settles, you discover that even through the sinfulness of his people, God works all things out according to the counsel of his own will. And in the end, even through the sinfulness and sinful natures of humans, God has a masterful plan. And in the hands of him, the messes that we make, he really does turn them into masterpieces. And that's what I want us to think about this morning. And so to do that, I first wanna show you the messiness of humanity and I want to show you the masterful providence of God. And I want to commend a, a meaningful pattern to you. I want to, I want to show you that, that there's an incorrect way to read this text. And then there's a correct way to read the text. And the correct way to read the text is to see a pattern that, that is true here 
and everywhere. And so first, let's look at the messiness of humanity. All right, so this is the first family. So if you, who is this family? The future of the world rests in the faithfulness of this family, right? And not necessarily their faithfulness, but, 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 but you got to remember that God told Abraham, through you and through your family, will the world be blessed. And so when you look at them, it's tempting to kind of pedestal them. But when you get close and look at them, they are just not that great. And so let's, what I want to do is like look at each person in the family and their actions in this text around this thing called a birthright or a, a, a final blessing. So let's look at Isaac. So in the text, notice it says that Isaac um, was now old and uh, his eyes were dim. So we think Isaac is at least 100. Now, how are we getting 100? Because if you look at the section before it, we're told that when Esau was 40 years old, he took two wives and uh, um, Isaac was 60 when Esau and Jacob were born. So he's at least 100, probably older. And the text says that his eyes were dim, which means he is he's physically blind. But I want to submit to you that here and in other sections in this passage, this is a, the, the, a, a word play. Not only is he physically blind, his spiritual blindness is also uh, driving this text. And we see his spiritual blindness uh, first that he actually thinks and says or he makes Esau feel like he's about to die. He says, hey, I'm about to die and I don't know the day of my death. Go and hunt game and prepare for me a delicious meal that I love so that if you give me this meal, I will then give you something. So you can already see like give me and then I will give you. Uh, this final blessing. And he says, do this be be before I die. Well, here's the thing. We know that Isaac, in fact, was not about to die. Now, how do we know? We know because after this scene, Jacob runs and goes wor and works for Laban and then stays and works for Laban for 20 years. And it's after he works for Laban for 20 years that Isaac dies and he returns to go bury Isaac then. So Isaac is not about to die. He got at least 20 more years of life. And so I think what's being underscored here is his impulsivity, right? But you also see his blindness on display uh, in this language of, of, of my son. And so notice how he, what he calls Esau. He calls Esau my son. And then notice what Rebecca calls uh, Esau. He calls Esau his son, but, he, but she calls Jacob her son. And so you can already see like, no, 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 no. Uh, these two twins, they got favorites. And the one that Isaac loves the most is Esau. And then Isaac is set on blessing Esau. Now, what, what else is trifling in this passage is you never read in scripture when a final blessing is done in isolation. Remember what we said a few weeks ago before Abraham died? It says before he died, he blessed his children, right? You're going to read later in Genesis when uh, Jacob is about to die. His name has been transformed. His name has changed to Israel. He says, sons of Jacob, you all draw near to me that I may bless you before I leave. And so the blessing, the final blessing, it was never, ever, ever done in the Bible in your own room with your own one son. It was always supposed to be this public thing. And here you see right here what Isaac is intent on doing. 
is giving the blessing that really isn't Esau's because Esau has sold his birthright already to Esau. He's blind. He knows the prophecy. He knows that God told Rebecca, the older will serve the younger. And what you see in this text is Isaac doing everything he can to circumvent what God had already said. He's blind. And then you get to deceitful Rebecca. Now, she happens to overhear their conversation. I don't think she would have been privy to it all. She overhears, and notice what the text says. She was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. Not their son, his son. And so when Esau went to the field to hunt for game, Rebekah said to her son, Jacob, I heard, to, I heard your father speak to, his, to your brother Esau. You see what's happening there? And so she put a plan in, together. While Esau is going out to the field to hunt, before he go, before he comes back, here's what you do. You go and you get me two young goats and you bring them to me. And then Rebecca is kind of the leading character in this section. It says that Rebecca commanded him to go. Rebecca cooked the food. Rebecca went and got the clothes. Rebecca told the plan. Rebecca is the one driving the narrative. She's a brilliant deceiver. Now, she's ahead of her time, and here's why. We now know through imaging of the brain and neuroplasticity that, that when you have these senses that, that, so if you're blind and all of the, 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 the brain signaling that goes towards your eye and processing your eye and making sense of that, when you can't see, your brain rewires itself. And so now your sense of hearing may be heightened or your sense of taste is heightened or your sense of smell is heightened or your sense of touch is heightened. Do you, did y'all catch Rebecca's plan? She got a plan for all of that. She don't need an MRI to see the human brain. Here's what she knows. That old man can't see, but he sure can hear. That old man can't see, but he sure can taste the difference between my food and your food. That old man can't see, but he sure can smell. And everything about her plan is to circumvent his senses. And so you tell, she says, look, he likes food made just like Esau cooks it. If you don't put enough pepper in it, your daddy gonna know. So here's what it is. I got the recipe. I've been watching him make this stew. So I'm going to make it just like Esau would. You let me handle that. Okay, well, mama, he's going to be able to, to, to smell me. I got a plan for that. You go get Esau. I'm going to go get Esau's garments and I'm going to put Esau's garments on you. Okay, mama, what about touch? You know, I, I'm Harry. No, he's Harry. I'm not. I got a plan for that. I'm going to take this hair from this goat and I'm going to put this goat behind your neck and on your hand. And when he touches you, he's going to think it's Esau. And says, look, I can't change your voice, boy. <laughs> and did you notice what happened? When Isaac heard uh, Jacob, he says, you sound like Jacob. He says, come here, boy. And when he drew near to him, oh, but you smell like Esau. You smell like the outdoors. Who is the mastermind behind all of that? It's that woman. She's brilliant. She is brilliant. She's absolutely brilliantly deceitful. And then it reads as if the two sons that they loved 
were chips over the, off the old blocks. It, feels, it sounds like Esau is kind of like his daddy, his favorite, Isaac. And so remember what Isaac says, I'm about to die. Cook me a meal that I may bless you. Where have you seen that language before? Ain't that what Esau said in the last chapter? When he came in from the field and he, he saw his brother Jacob cooking, he says, I want some of that red stuff. And what did Jacob tell Esau? He says, trade me your birthright for my red stuff. And what did uh, Esau say? He says, I'm about to die. What use is a birthright to me? Here, you can have this thing. He wasn't about to die. He's going to live a long more time. You see, he's sounding like his daddy. The daddy is sounding like the son. And when you read this, it's hard. Isn't it hard not to be compassionate towards Esau? So on Monday, Karen and I went to get lunch and then we went to Starbucks. And I was reading this at Starbucks. And she was, I think she was clipping coupons or something. <laughs> and, and we had coffee, we talked, and I said, okay, babe, I'm going to start reading. You do what you, you got to do. We're just going to sit. And, and I, was, I had my head down reading. And she said, babe, why is your face so tight? Like, what's wrong? And, and what, what I, was, I was reading this and getting kind of drawn into the story, and like, I was getting noticeably angry. I was, I was feeling like real compassion around this text. And she's like, it, it, it's written all over your face. What are you reading? I mean, just imagine the scene. You go and you cook a meal to get the blessing and you come back in and it's been stolen. Did, do you hear his language? Daddy, do you have nothing you can do for me? Like, Daddy, I, I'm the firstborn. Like, Daddy, what about what I just... What about what I just hunted? What about what, what, what I'm bringing you? You know how he's been treating me my whole life. Like, Daddy, is there not one single blessing you can give me? Do you feel like, like that feels so genuine and sincere? And I think the writer of Genesis would clue us in that this is more than likely worldly sorrow and not godly sorrow. Now, how do we know? Well, we know because of what the text told us before this whole passage ensues. We already know that by the time this took place, that Esau already has how many wives? Two. And where are they from? They're Hittites. Those are people that God's people were never supposed to marry. In fact, when Abraham sent a servant to get Isaac a wife, he says, you must not get a servant from the Hittites. You must not get him a wife from the Canaanites. You must go to where the God fearers are. And so here you see before this whole scene, Esau already has two pagan wives. And then watch how it unfolds. Notice that scene. Look at verse 46 of chapter 27. Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of these Hittite women. And if Jacob marries one of these Hittite women, what, and what, will, what, what will come to my life? And then notice down in chapter 28, verse 6. Now Esau saw that Isaac blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take a wife. Look at verse 8. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac his father, 
Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the two wives he already had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nabaioth. Now, you got to see why that's there. If you want to stick it to your daddy and your mama, that's what you do. You not only marry two unbelieving wives, you go and take a third one. And not just any unbelieving wife. Who, whose offspring is she? Ishmael. What's the relationship between Ishmael and Isaac? Ishmael bullied Isaac and teased Isaac. So much so that Sarah says, send him and his mama away. And they did. So when Esau goes and marries one of Ishmael's daughters, you see what he's saying? This dude don't care about God. He don't care about his daddy, his mommy. He don't care about the promises of God. He is out for himself. And then you get to Jacob. Thieving Jacob. You ever had your identity stolen? Some of y'all text me last week, Pastor L, somebody sent me another text. Somebody's parading to be you. They're asking for Apple gift cards. I will never ask you for an Apple gift card, right? Somebody does it every three weeks. They're trying to scam you to give them money and they're, they're, they're pretending to be me. Look, identity theft happens every 22 seconds. It's a $10 billion industry. The average person will lose $500, not to mention the amount of time it takes to cut off credit cards and get new credit cards. It's a big deal. The father of identity theft is in this passage. It's Jacob. He pretends to be someone he is not that he might have material and spiritual gain. And Jacob isn't worried about what's right or what's wrong, y'all. He's worried about being found out and the curse that would come upon him if he's found out. And he doesn't even really care that a curse might come upon his mama because what she tells him, listen to me, Whatever curse that would come upon you, let it come upon me. And he said, okay, that's a fair deal. Way to, way to love your mother, right? And in fact, we don't even know when his mother dies that the author of Genesis seems to write her out of the narrative. We know when her nurse dies and we later know where she's buried, but it does read as if there are consequences for what she does right here. And he's, he listens to her plan. She says, Mama, it won't work. He's a hairy man and I'm smooth. And that word for smooth, there's another word play. It can mean hairless, but it can mean cunning and deceitful. And that joker is smooth in this text, ain't he? <laughs> he's smooth, y'all. He's wearing clothes that are not his. He has hair glued onto him. He's in his mama cook his food. He lies. His father asks him, are you really Esau? Yes, I am. His father says, my son, how did you get the food so fast? He said, the Lord, your God, bless me. That's a lie. 
You're misusing the name of the Lord, you blasphemer. The Bible will later say, curse is anyone who misleads a blind man. And all the people shall say, amen, Deuteronomy 27, 18. And here you have Jacob deceiving a blind man. Y'all, this is a hot mess, ain't it? <laughs> this is stuff that soap operas are made of. Look, Isaac's name means laughter. And can you imagine what Satan and his minions are doing when they're watching the behavior of this first family? This is who you gonna save the world? This B team, these bench riders, this is who you are going to put all of redemption in their hands, those kinds of peoples. And God is kicked back. No, it ain't in their hands. It's in my hands. It looked like it's in their hands, but I know what I'm doing. I got this. I'm not losing sleep. Why? Because even though humans are messy, God's sovereignty is masterful. You got to get this in this text. It appears on the surface that God is doing nothing. In fact, when you read the chapter before this, during a famine, it says, and the Lord appeared to Isaac. And in the chapter after this, when Jacob is running for his life and he has this dream and the Lord appeared to him at the top of this staircase going to heaven. And so right before this and after this, you get these theophanies where God shows up and makes his presence known. And then in this chapter, it feels like God is nowhere to be found. No theophany. God doesn't say, Rebecca, you're lying. Stop it. He doesn't say, Esau, you're going astray, come back. It, it feels like he is not involved. He is not in the mess. But then look at how it ends. It ends with who getting the blessing? Jacob. Who Isaac did every single thing he could do not to bless. Jacob gets the blessing. Now, it's tempting to think that the reason Jacob got the blessing was because Rebecca was savvy and he was slick. But you got to remember the prophecy that was prophesied over their lives when they were still inside of their mother's womb. When Rebecca went to the Lord because her pregnancy was painful, he says, there are two nations inside of you and they're warring. And they're going to keep warring. And I'm going to do something uncommon. I'm going to make the older one bow down to the younger one. The one who comes out last is actually going to be the one who gets the firstborn blessing. And that's what you see happening in the passage. That through their deceit, through their lying, through their blaspheming, through everything that they're doing in the text, in the end, when the dust settles, the one that God said would get the blessing is the one who gets the blessing. And God promises him the dew of the heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. He promises him honor and fame that nations will bow down to you. 
He says, I will put you in a position of oversight and power. He says, on top of that, Esau's people will never, ever conquer you. And this would have been a comfort to the original audience. Remember, we are not the first audience of Genesis. The first people to receive the book of Genesis were the second generation uh, Israelites who had come out of the Exodus. And it was Esau's people who would not let them in the land. It was Esau's people who would partner with pagan nations to persecute them. And what God tells them right then and there, no matter what they do to you, they will not harm you. You will endure because I'm with you. When famines come, I will provide. And we know that this is ultimately not about Jacob, right? It's about Jacob's great, 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 great grandson that all the nations will bow down to. That if you know Jesus, you are eternally secure. That nothing can separate you from his hand or his love. That he is sovereign over all. And God promises that and God makes it happen even in the midst of their sin. Herman Bavink in his book, The Doctrine of God, he says, believers must come to embrace the decrees of God that they are derived from the fullness of God's knowledge, eternally imminent in himself. And that means, beloved, that we're down here doing stuff and living life and, and doing everything. But above all of that, outside of time, going back into eternity, the father has decrees that he has decreed things that will come to pass. And he's not asking for you and I to be his counselors. These are his decrees. Secondly, they're based on his sovereignty. And third, he is pleased to use the created universe, creatures, time, and providence to bring them about. This is God, according to the counsel of his own will, who decreed before the foundations of the earth that the younger brother will be served by the older. And y'all can't stop it. And I don't know about you, but when Paul is pondering this, he says, oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been God's counselor? For from him and to him and through him are all things. Now, I'm going to give you a choice. Which vision of your life do you want? Do you want the vision that every single thing that you do controls every single thing that will happen to you? Do you want the vision that your future is in the hand of knuckleheads who can be love you today and hate you tomorrow? Do you want your future and the future of your family in the hands of fickle humans? Or do you want a big God who is wise and big? who writes long stories, who does not slumber nor sleep, who does not grow weary. Which outcome do you want? The Bible says we serve a big God who works all things according to the counsel of his will, who uses things like addiction 
and slavery and rebellion and idolatry and all the hard, messy things of life. He says, I got that. None of that will stop what I'm doing. You trust me. You trust me. Which moves us to our final point. How are we supposed to read this passage, saints? Are we supposed to read it moralistically? Here's what I mean, moralistically. Are we supposed to say, hey, David slayed giants, so go slay your giants, right? That, that's a way that we unpack that passage. So imitate a person in the text. And there's a place for that. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? There's a place to say, hey, this person is godly. They, 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 have, they, 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 they walk by faith. They, they know how to repent. They have healthy rhythms. They, 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 they meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. And they're to be commended and trusted and imitated. Here's the question. Is that how we're supposed to read this? Who are you going to look at it here and emulate? emulate? <laughs> Go be like Rebecca right? That don't preach. Go lie. Go, go be like Jacob and blaspheme. Go, go be like Esau and, be, and disregard eternal things. It's no human in this text that we're supposed to emulate. So how are we supposed to read it? We're going to make up a word this morning. We're, we're supposed to read this not moralistically, but patternistically. All right? Patternistically. Not paternalism. Patternistically. In other words, there's a pattern that's laid down here that we would do well to embrace. And here's the pattern. You're a mess. And I'm a mess. And our kids are messes and this world is a mess and our spouses are messes and our parents are messes and everybody. We're just messes. And God is masterful. He's masterful. He's beautiful. He's powerful. He's gracious and he is unchanging and he specializes in cleaning us up and cleaning up the mistakes we make in Jesus. That's the pattern. Now, how do we know? I'm gonna give you a few examples and I'm gonna land the plane. So think about Isaac and Rebecca, y'all. Like if I go back and start reading Genesis 24, Sarah's died, Isaac's grieving, Abraham's old. Abraham says to my servant, put your hand under my thigh. Go find my son a wife, not one of the pagan wives. You need to go, go much, much longer and go get her, him a wife who believes in me way across yonder. And so the servant takes this long trip and he finally gets to Re where Rebecca is. And he says, Lord, how in the world I'm going to find the right one for my master? It's like a needle in a haystack. How? You got, you got to give me a sign. And he says, here's the sign. And so Isaac goes, not Isaac, the servant goes 
and there's a woman at the well and she's running to serve him. Hey, can, can you give us water? Yes, sir. Here you go. He says, oh, by the way, before he even asked about his animals, she said, hey, I'll, 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 I'll give your animals water too. And it says she ran joyfully to serve him. And he's like, oh, my Lord, you have answered my prayer. You've given me the sign. She's the one. Now, now you got a problem. This one got to agree to leave everything to follow you to marry a husband she knows nothing about. And so she does. He goes and asks her father, might she come? He says, it's, it's up to her. And she says, I will. I will. I trust God. I will go marry your master. And she travels. She leaves and cleaves better than all of us in this room. She addresses her husband as master. When she arrives and he's in the field staring, she veils herself and presents herself to him. And they get married right there. She ain't never met this cat. And what about Isaac? When they were barren, he did not dismiss her. He prayed for her. He didn't go get a concubine. When it was a famine, he trusted the Lord. They were flirtatious. When Abimelech saw the, whatever they were doing, he says, y'all not husband and wife. I don't know what that is. And look at them in this text. Rebecca don't look so Rebecca no more, does she? And Isaac don't look so Isaac no more. It reads as if they have been growing apart over the years. Now you tell me that that ain't us. Ask anyone who's married. It's hard. It's beautiful. But the temptation to be just like them is there. What about Isaac? What about Jacob? What about Esau? Don't we see parts of us in them? Esau, give me wine, give me women, give me food. I don't need the eternal things, Lord. Jacob, he's an imposter. Being someone he's not to get ahead. Now you tell me we don't all wrestle with all of this. It's a pattern. Chad Bird says, show me a church and I'll show you a hotbed of hypocrisy. Self-interest, many political parties, the jockeying for power, the flexing of holiness, and all manner of unscrupulous activities. In other words, show me a church and I'll show you a truckload of sinners pastored by a sinner himself, and they're all usually tottering on the brink of implosion. There are Isaacs and Rebekahs and Jacobs and Esau's in every church, along with a smattering of Ahabs and Jezebels. Sometimes if you're lucky, or fortunate, you get you a Jonathan or a Ruth or a Barnabas. But one thing you will never get in a church is a non-sinner. Even the best of us will make a mess of our lives. God, that just hit me so hard this week. <laughs> I was like, amen, baby. Grace is so good. That's the pattern where messes and God is so masterful. 
in spite of your sins and our sins and our failures, if we are in Jesus, God is working everything out for your good and his glory. Everything. Now, how do we know this is a pattern? Well, we know later on in Genesis, this same Jacob who's tricking his daddy is going to get tricked by his own sons. Just like his daddy got a favorite, Jacob is going to have a favorite. His favorite is going to be Joseph. And he's going to give Joseph this multicolored coat. And Joseph is going to walk around dreaming. Here, Mr. Dreamer, here, Mr. Dreamer. His brothers are going to taunt him. And they're going to get so frustrated with him that they sell him to the Ishmaelites. And then he ends up in Egypt. And then they kill a goat and put the goat's blood on the coat and take the coat dipped in the goat's blood back to Jacob and says, here, your son that you love, he's dead. The daddy got done like he did his daddy. And you know what happened? His son wasn't dead. They met him when they were in Egypt. And there was a famine. And Joseph said to them, well, you intended for evil. God has brought about good. That's a pattern that goes from here through the rest of the Bible. And it's what Peter would say. This Jesus that you crucified with your own hands, he was delivered by you, by God, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And so God is using your messiness and your sinfulness to accomplish your cleansing. Do you hear the gospel there? Now here's the thing, God's guarantee to fix your mess is himself and his likeness and his unchangeable character. And so I don't know what you're going through today. Here's what I do know, that if you're in Christ, your God invites you to come and to give your messy self and your messy situations to him. And to say, God, It might feel like you're distant. And when I cannot trace your hand, I trust your heart. If you have used the sin of men and women for my own cleansing and forgiveness in Jesus, how much more can you not work all these other things I got going on for my ultimate good? And so, Father, I bring it to you. I bring me to you. And I trust you. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, your word is good. And it is a privilege that we get to come to the table to taste and to see and to know this through this sacrament. We bless you and we love you. In Christ's name, amen.